Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello and welcome back to another Great Deception Podcast. I'm Don Britton and today I want to talk with you about the corruption of the clergy. And I use that word loosely because there's really no such thing as a clergy in the Bible. But anyway, in, in Revelation, in chapter 2, uh, there's, a, there's a reference that Jesus made about the, the uh, Nicolaitans. He said in Revelation 2.15, he said, Thus you have also those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. In other words, Jesus hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So, you know, years ago I looked this up. I thought, what's he talking about? The Nicolaitans, you know. So let me let me read to you what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is. I've got it written down here. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is this. It was created by those who claim to have a, a superior status over the laity of the church. Now, the laity is another term that's not biblical. Neither uh, clergy nor laity are biblical. But men have invented these as ways to divide, the to separate the so-called special ministers of God from the average quote-unquote church member. So it's, it, it, was a, it, it was created by those who claimed to have a superior status over the laity of the church. The laity, of course, was the rest of us, the rest of the household of God. This doctrine created a division between the people of God known as the clergy slash the laity divide and prevented the doctrine of the priesthood of the believers from being practiced in the church then and continues today. In other words, the priesthood of all believers. There's The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers is what came into effect in the new covenant. We're all in the priesthood. We are all anointed of God. We all have the Holy Spirit. We all have direct access to God. We don't need the priesthood to tell us what God is saying any longer. So anyway, those who followed... That is, those who followed the doctrine of the Nicolaitans assumed superiority over the people. So they, they therefore exercised authority and power over the people using their positional top-down hierarchy system. In other words, from, from top-down, in other words, they're looking down at the rest of us. They're up there in the uppity uh, section, you know, because they're the ones that are closer to God, so, so forth. They're the ones that are specially anointed of God. That was what the Nicolaitans were all about. This doctrine taught that only those who served as the official clergy were the ones who could hear, understand, and know what God was really saying to the people. In other words, the people are dumb sheep. The people need their pastor to tell them the truth. The people need their prophet to, to give them the revelations of God. They can't do that themselves. They can't hear from God themselves. That was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Paul says, so there, he's, he was talking in context here of the different gifts of the Spirit and how important uh, the, the unseemly members were 
how they were important just as much as the seemly members. See, an unseemly member is somebody that's not seen so much. Maybe he doesn't have a speaking gift or some kind of gift that puts him in a, in a, in a noticeable position. And so the unseemly member, Paul was explaining, is just as important and even more so should, should get honor than the, than the seemly members because the seemly members are already visible. And so the unseemly members are just as important and they need to be even honored even more so that they won't be left out. That's what Paul was saying. And he goes on to say, and because of this, he said, so that in verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, there's no big eyes and little U's. There's no the prophet who sees all, knows all, and the rest of us little ignorant people down here that don't know what's going on. He's saying, let there be no division in the body, and all the members should have the same care for one another. In other words, let there be no dividing up of those who are gifted members versus those who are not so, so gifted members. And so those that are more seemly versus those that are not so seemly. In other words, don't let there be any division made, which Paul was saying, which is exactly the opposite of what we have today. In the uh, book of Revelation, it's clear that Jesus hated the doctrine or the teaching of the Nicolaitans which would exalt one believer above another. Let me tell you how this got started. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is what led the Catholic Church, you know, way back in the, like the second or third century into, the, into this thing of having priests who had to, you know, hear from God, who had to speak to the people. And they, you know, they call them priests or archbishops or father, father whatever, and the and he was treated like he had a connection directly with God. And they even could forgive your sins without you having to go to the Lord. You could just go to the priest. And that's where the, the Catholic Church also from there, they invented the Pope. So you had the, sleep, the priest slash Pope mentality. Uh, so with the Pope being over all the Catholic churches and the, and the priest or the bishop being over the local Catholic churches, and then later we had the Reformation. Sometime back in the Middle Ages, we had the Reformation. And what happened was the, the Reformation just adopted the same idea that there has to be a, quote, Pope. So they didn't call him Pope anymore. They turned it into the pastor mentality. So the Pope slash pastor mentality was carried on in the Reformation. It was a teaching that goes all the way back to the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. And so much of our thinking today and our Christian traditions that we have today came from the Reformation, which also came from the Catholic Church, which also came from the Nicolaitans. And so the practice of the Nicolaitans is still practiced today. And uh, when we exalt a, uh, when we exalt or elevate a priest or a pastor or an elder or a bishop or someone in the fivefold ministry or someone uh, that we call a clergy member, when we exalt, exalt them in a hierarchical position above in rank above the rest of us uh, with authority and power and, they, and they're to be paid and treated like kings, so to speak, there be, our money is to, get, be, to be given to them, our honors to be given to them, powers to be given to them, then this is the way of the Nicolaitans. And it, was, as being, it is being practiced even to this very day and Jesus absolutely hates it. So, now here's the words of Jesus in Matthew 23 concerning this very kind of thing. Jesus said, in 23 verse 8, he said, 
but do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher and you're all brothers. In other words, all brothers. I don't care if you're a prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. I don't care what you are. Or, or you just have the gift of helps and you're just helping out. Or, or you, you know, what doesn't matter what your gift is. It doesn't matter what your position in the church is. It doesn't matter what your ability in the church is. You are all brothers. Don't be called rabbi. Don't, for one is your teacher and you're all brothers. Your teacher is, is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. It's not rabbi. <laughs> you know, it's not the pastor. Now, the pastor may do some teaching and the evangelist may do some teaching and the prophet may do some teaching and bring some messages and he may prophesy, but the real teacher is the Lord and you be sure, you need to be sure you're, you're hearing the Lord when the so-called man is speaking to you. So he goes on to say in verse 9, says, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father. Now this is, I don't know how the Catholic Church gets around this scripture, calling men father, for one is your father who is in heaven, Jesus said, and do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. Now here's a point I want to make. Don't be called rabbi, don't be called pastor, don't be called reverend, don't be called doctor, whatever. You know, Men can a man can be a pastor, but his name is not pastor. It's not like Pastor Smith or Reverend Jones or Apostle uh, uh, Johnson or whatever. His name is not not preceded by a title. What Jesus is saying: Don't title anybody. Don't give them a title. Don't separate them from the rest of everybody. In other words, don't do this. In other words, it's the work of the Nicolaitans. He says, "I hate it. Don't do this." You can be a leader, but your name is not leader. You can be an apostle, but your name is not apostle. I had a guy a while back that got really irate with me because I was talking about false apostles and so forth. And he wanted to be sure that I called him apostle. I said, you know, I'm not. I said, how dare you to name yourself and title yourself like this? This is the mentality that some have today. But Jesus goes on in verse 11 to say this. He said, in verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to even go in. So he goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. In other words, you're taking the money of the poor people. You're taking money from anybody that you can. You'll devour a widow's house because you think you deserve it. For And for a pretense, you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice the son of hell as yourselves. So here we are today in modern Christianity with the same thing going on that Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago. What we have is we have put into practice the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And we are by exalting one believer above another. In other words, exalting the minister, the pastor, the prophet, the bishop, you know, the priest or whatever. By exalting them above others, this is what we have today in all of American Christianity. All over, actually, in worldwide Christianity, we have this very thing going on. So, by putting these these men above others in a hierarchical position and giving them special titles, the result is that the church 
has been hijacked by the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans are the ones who are called by titles. You know, they go around, they have to have a title, you know, like reverend. I tell you what, how dare a man call himself reverend? You know, reverend, the word reverend means to be revered and feared and also means to be the most holy one, which is only, <laughs> which is only to be recognized by God. We should only recognize God as being most holy one as to be revered and feared. Why should we revere, revere and fear a man? We should, we're even commanded not to have the fear of man. So to say I'm reverend is to say I'm to be revered and feared and can be considered as the most holy one. This is, this is very evil. So, but anyway, the Nicolaitans are the ones who have taken over the church today. They love to, the titles to be called like reverend and doctor, uh, pastor, uh, apostle, father. You know, they, they like these terms. They like these titles to be put by their name. These men have set themselves up. They've set themselves up above the rest of the people and have assumed power over the flock. And this, and here's what happens. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It corrupts. It goes to the heart. Men are corrupted when they get into power, just like our politicians in Washington. It's the same thing in the church today. Power corrupts. Now, if the men in Washington, for an example, if our congressmen and the president and all that, if they only got into office to serve the people, to look after our best interests, which is what a pastor is supposed to do in the church, then they wouldn't be corrupted. They'd be servants. But what we have today is a church is full of corruption. The pastors are, are greedy for money. The pastors love the, the power. They love the honor of men. They love the chief seats in the synagogues. They love their respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They want to be honored. They want their titles. They want their position. They want their power. This is what we have in American Christianity today. Corruption, 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 corruption. And then we have the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which tickle ears because after all, they want power over people. They want influence over people. They want the people to follow them and to send their money to them. And so they're teaching the false doctrines, you know, eternal security. Uh, the church is going to be raptured out. We're not going to go through any tribulation. You know, they're, they're teaching that preachers should be paid. They're teaching to collect the tithe, which is not for the church today. They're, they're teaching things that make men feel good and also that make themselves be better off financially in every other way. They're not serving the needs of the people, nor are they speaking the words of God. So, as a result, these Nicolaitans, uh, they have assumed power, and, they're, and they are taking the sordid gain, which is the money that others have worked for. Sordid gain is taking money that others have worked for. It's taking what belongs to others. In other words, it's not money they work for. Sordid gain is unrighteous gain. It's, it's unlawful gain. It's, 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 it's filthy lucre. It's taking money that you did not earn. And that's what pastors do. They take, they take the hard-earned money of working Americans that go to church or that pay into ministries and they live like kings off of it. They don't work for it themselves. So here's the second part of the corruption. The first part is the power and the position. And the second part is the money, the love of money and the greed for the sordid gain. And so the Nicolaitans are alive and well today and they're, they have become corrupted, and they have corrupted the church. So they're doubly corrupted. They have the love of power and the love of money. And this is why that Jesus hated them and their ways so much.
So in Luke 22, verse 24, and Jesus said this, there also arose a dispute among them uh, as to which one was the greatest. You know, even the apostles had this fleshly human nature that they had to still completely overcome. And you can see, they're kind of like children. Which one of us is the greatest? You know, they were all there with Jesus. Well, they're thinking, well, one of us must be greater than the other. So here's what Jesus said about that. In verse 25, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who have authority over them are called benefactors in other words the gentiles are the people living in the flesh the kings are like the kings of the uh, uh, we have today they're called pastor prophet reverend doctor whatever they're the kings and they're lording it over the people the gentiles that are in the church that call themselves christians who are living like the world and they're being told they're going to heaven so they're lording it over them and they've set themselves up in the seat of Moses, so to speak, to set themselves up as leaders and as, as men of power and authority. And so they're called benefactors. In other words, they're called, but that doesn't mean that they are. They're called benefactors. The benefactor is somebody who's doing something that gives a benefit to others. They're called men who are doing something good that are uh, giving a benefit to others. But the truth is, just like the scripture says, they didn't even give them the slightest benefit. In the end, it won't even be the slightest benefit because they were misled. They were taught falsely. People were misled by these false teachers. It's, all, it's, it's what's going on today. But Jesus concerning his own disciples said this in verse 26. But it's not this way with you. In other words, you're not going to lord it over anybody. You're not going to be like a king over the Gentiles. You're not going to go around using your authority to push your, your weight around. You're not going to do like this. This is not the way it's going to be with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become your youngest and the leader like the servant. So in other words, it's just the, it's just opposite of what the world is like. It's just opposite of like the religious system is like. And he goes on in verse 27 where Jesus answered him this way. He said, for who is greater the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves. He says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? In the natural, that, of course, is the way it is. The one who's sitting at the table and is the one who's greater than the one who served him. But Jesus said this, but I am among you as the one who serves. So what he's saying is, uh, let me just go to another verse, which kind of confirms the same thing. And then I'll tell you what he's saying. Verse in, in Mark now, Chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus, sitting down, he called his 12 and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So what Jesus is doing here is he's reversing the greatest from being the one who reclines at the table to the one who serves the table. This is the place, and what he's really saying, for you, my disciples, this is the way it's supposed to be. You are going to be, in true ministry, you're going to be the one who's freely giving and freely serving, not the one who's taking power, money, and honor for yourselves. No, sir. In other words, you're going to be giving rather than getting. And so, that, see, that's the very opposite of the ministry we have today. That's the very opposite of, of basically any pastor or prophet or ministry or evangelism. Everybody's in the business of ministry for what they're getting for the most part. You hardly ever find a man who will preach without pay. You will hardly ever find a man who really concerns himself with the lives of his people, who goes to his people 
personally and individually to help them every way he can, who visits their homes and talks to them and has them in his home and disciples them and guides them and watches over their lives and, and prays for them and is worried about their souls. You hardly ever see that anymore. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter said this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Let me tell you, I've got this explained in a couple other videos and podcasts. Compulsion, when a man's under compulsion, he's preaching under compulsion. Compulsion means he's preaching to get paid. He's preaching for his position. He's preaching for the power. He's preaching for the honor and the authority that he has as a minister. That's shepherding under compulsion. He says, don't do that. <laughs> but he said, other than, rather than compulsion, which is the opposite of being, doing it voluntarily, he says, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, shepherd the, God, the flock of God. So you do it voluntarily. In other words, you do it for free. You do it out of your heart. You do it out of your love. You do it out of your compassion for the people and out of the needs for the people. And you do it because you want to please God. So you do it voluntarily from the heart, not under compulsion. And he goes on to say, but with eagerness and not for sordid gain. Sordid gain is getting money from people who have worked for it. <laughs> when you don't work for it, that's sordid gain. That's what virtually every pastor in America is doing today. That's virtually what every prophet in America is doing today. They're, they're, they're exercising oversight and they're doing it under compulsion and for sordid gain, but they're not doing it voluntarily. They're not doing it freely we received and we, we freely give. But they're not doing it with eagerness to help the people. They're doing it with eagerness to build their ministry, to buy another jet or to get a bigger house or to get a raise to get six figures if you're on a local basis and get all the benefits you can get and get the people to help you all you can. You know, I remember one charismatic church I was in one time the pat and I and I had an automotive repair business at the time. That's what I did for most of my life was in the auto repair business. And this pastor and I was at the time I was struggling. I was really young and I was struggling, you know, trying. I was I had five kids, a wife, mortgage, you know, trying to get by. I didn't really have that great of a business. It was small and I was growing and I was learning some things. And this pastor, <laughs> he ended up persuading me to fix all of his cars. All of his family's cars, all for free. I bought the parts. I paid the technicians. I paid my overhead. He got all that taken, you know, and the reason was because he was the man of God. He was the, he was the anointed of God. He was the clergy and people like me were supposed to serve him. And he never really served me and my family in any way, but he took from us. And then he had this building program and he had all these poor people in the church to be throwing money into this building program that he had this big dream to build this crazy building that he wanted to build, this big fancy building. We're just a small congregation. And there were people in that church who were scraping up money and trying to help him with that building program. I remember there were people in the church that were so poor they couldn't even buy a battery for their car. We'd have to push their car off in a parking lot to get them cranked up to go home. And yet he was he was pulling money out of these people all the time. Well, the long story short, he finally he finally was proven to be false. He took the money and left town and he sold the property that we'd bought to build the building on and put the money in his pocket and left town. But anyway, that that's again, that's that's what happens so many times. This man was not serving from the heart. 
he was he was uh, exercising oversight in it for under compulsion, in other words, to get what he could get from the people. And yet, and in verse three, uh, Peter said he goes on to say, "Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but pro- proving to be examples to the flock." In other words, if you're going to be a minister of God, you don't lord it over. Lording it over means you set yourself up above people. Hey, I've seen pastors. I've watched this all my life. They don't get down in the field with the sheep. The sheep down there in that muddy field, sometimes it's cold and rainy. The pastor, he stays in, in the cover. He stays up in the high place. You know, he lives in his ivory tower. He doesn't get out there where people really live, and he doesn't understand how people, what they go through. You know, he, 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 he philosophizes a lot, but he doesn't really get down there where the people are, where the sheep are, and stay with them and work with them and care for them. That's typically what goes on today. So lording it over is a natural thing for the clergy. It's just natural for them because see, because they put themselves in a position and when you go to, when you go to seminary, they teach you how to put yourself above the people. I remember when, when I was trying to uh, lead a small group one time and way back in the eighties, I was trying to figure out how to help these people. I had, I was discipling a, a few couples and I had this guy from Texas come through. He was a quote unquote minister and he told me that I don't need to get down there with the people. I need to set myself way up here because I was the anointed of God. And I said, how can I help the people if I'm not with them, if I'm not honest with them and I don't work with them and I, I don't live in a way that they can come and go in my life and I can see them and they can see me? How can that work? Well, he just couldn't really explain it to me, but he, he learned that in seminary that, you know, as a minister, you're supposed to set yourself up above the people. This is the mentality we have today. So it's just natural for the clergy to do that. And since they assume this position... They're no longer like like even with the people. They're not on the same plane with the people. They're not in the same level with the people. But since they have set themselves at a higher level, you know, then and they've divided themselves off from the regular Christians, so to speak, in their congregation or the people that support their ministry or whatever, they automatically now are lording it over the people because they are over the people. They've set themselves higher than the people. So their position is an automatically automatic lording over over the people and so what they've done is they have divided up the uh, divide themselves off from the christians and done the very opposite of what paul says let there be no divisions among you so and they're and they and here's the second part the fact that they think that the the rest of the people should work for a living and give them money that within itself sets them above the rest of the people what's wrong with them getting a job too Everybody in the body of Christ should be working. Everybody in the body of Christ should be supporting their own families. Everybody in the body of Christ should be ministering. Everybody in the body of Christ is anointed. When the body comes together, there's different ones that have teachings and revelations and messages and interpretations. And, you know, all the different gifts of the Spirit are supposed to be working. One has a psalm, one has this, and one has that. It's like you come together. The church is supposed to come together. Everybody is called of God. Everybody's a priest now. There's no big big eyes and little U's anymore. That's all over with. But we still have the Nicolaitans. We still have them with us today. The Old Covenant, and I'll make this point. The Old Covenant had had selected priests. You know, there was the, there was the Levitical priesthood, and they were separated. The priesthood were separated from the rest of Israel. They had, they lived, they did not own property. They didn't uh, raise gardens. They didn't have cattle. Uh, they hung around the temple and the other various uh, locations where God would place his name. And they were they would minister to the Lord, 
and they would minister between the Lord and the people. In other words, they were the go-between. And so as a result, they were, uh, they were set apart from God as being priests over the people. So what's happened is that was the way of the old covenant. But in the new covenant, we're all priests. And every one of us has direct access to the Lord now. I don't have to go through some man to get to Jesus Christ or to God the Father. I can call on him myself. I can call on the Lord anytime, anywhere I need to or want to because he's available to me. I don't have to go through a minister uh, as they did in those days. So in, so the new covenant, in the new covenant, we're all priests with a direct access to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. Therefore, earthly priests and the title of priesthood and the tithe that paid the priest has all been eliminated. It's all been eliminated. It all went to the cross with Jesus Christ. And then a new covenant came into place. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he, Peter said this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies in him, of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, there we are. We're, we're a royal priesthood. We're all priests now. We don't, need, we don't need the clergy mentality anymore. We all have access to God. In Hebrews 8.13, uh, uh, the writer here in Hebrews, and some say it's Paul, and it probably was, he, he's, he's talking all of, uh, in chapter 8 here, his, his whole subject is about the difference in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so after he explains those differences, he goes on in verse 13 to say, and he said, referring to a new covenant, he said, he has made the first obsolete, that is the first covenant, the old covenant, he's made it obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So when Paul wrote this, or whoever wrote it said this, he was saying it was time for the old covenant to disappear. In other words, the old priesthood, the old way of tithing, the old way of having a man go between you and God, the old way of going to a physical temple to worship. Now you must worship in spirit and truth. Now you are the temple. Now you are a priest. It's all changed. Those are just types and shadows of the reality that was to come in Christ. And now he says it's a new covenant. Let the old disappear. But the problem is that the old covenant hasn't disappeared. It's still alive and well in most all the American churches and the world churches today. Today we have the clergy everywhere, the clergy mentality, the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans are here everywhere with us. That is, we still have the earthly priest and we still have the, the tithe. You know, you know, got to pay the tithe. Tithe never had anything to do with the church. Has nothing to do with the church. You know, go back to my podcast I've done on the tithe and look it up. And so we have all this today, the earthly mentality of the clergy, the earthly priest mentality who, who supposedly have to go to God and to tell us what God is saying. You, you know, we have the mentality where everybody sits in an audience in a chair or a pew somewhere and you got one man, the quote, the quote clergy standing up front for 30 minutes or an hour or two or whatever, telling us what God says. Boy, if we didn't have that, what would we do? Is that, is that the mentality we have today? That if we didn't have them telling us what to do, or we have prophet so-and-so coming to town, he has a word for us. What would, would we ever know what God wanted us to do or what God was saying to us if it wasn't for prophet so-and-so coming and giving us a word? See, this is a mentality we have today. We forget that we are all anointed. 
We have direct access to God. We can know the heart and will of God. His spirit he gave to us will lead and guide us into all truth. His spirit gave, gave us authority over darkness and, and bring us into this marvelous light. This is, this is for everybody that's in Christ. So anyway, here we have now the old covenant still alive and well with us and the kings of the earth, the Nicolaitans, are collecting the tithe to pay themselves. And they have set themselves up above the rest of us and they expect to be, they expect to be treated like kings. In other words, they expect the honor in the marketplaces. They expect you to give them the best seats in the house. They expect you to pay for their Sunday dinner. They expect to be paid for their you know, love offerings for their vacation. And they expect you to do whatever they want. Plus, you give them your money weekly so they can live really well off of it. So, and they don't want to work for a living. And they're not going to work for a living. They want you to work for a living and because they're the clergy and pay them. You see, here's the thing. Like I said earlier, these men do not get down in the in the rut where you and I live. They don't get down in the daily worker's life. They don't really come and visit and spend time in the home with the family and, and you know, discipling men and training men in righteousness and training people how to, you know, training people in the in the in the work for the ministry, which is we're all to work in the ministry. Everybody's to work in the ministry. We're all to be a, a disciples of Christ and we're all to share the good news with our neighbors, our friends, our family, whoever God brings into our path. And we're supposed to be trained in that by the elders, by the older men that have, have got walked further and longer than we have. That's not what really goes on. Today, the, the clergy is all about running the church business. You know, they got programs. They got, they got to take care of, the, of getting people to take care of the building. They got, to, they got all these things they got to set up, all these different programs. And they got to watch after the ministry. They got to watch after the money. They got all these meetings to go to. It's not even about people's lives. It's about running a big business, about running. They're the CEO of the corporation, so to speak. So they sit in their ivory towers rather than get down in the muddy trenches of the lives of their people. They then they stand in their nice pulpits and they tell us how to live. Let me ask you something. Do you really think that John MacArthur visits the individuals in his church? Do you think he really knows what's going on with his members? Do you think he really cares? What do you think? You know, he's taking in a lot of money every year. I read somewhere where his income total between the church and his um, Grace to You Ministries is netting him somewhere around a million dollars a year. I read that somewhere. And if that's incorrect, then please forgive me. But it's a lot of money, whatever it is. And with all that money, do you think he really knows what's going on with his people? Do you think he helps them personally in any real, any, any way? Like, like we're supposed to be shepherds, you know. These men are supposed to be shepherds of the sheep. They're supposed to be out there with the sheep. They're supposed to be running off the wolves and, and, and helping the sheep, you know, find good water to drink and help them find good pasture. And, and, you know, and if one runs away, goes and gets him and brings him back. I mean, that's what shepherds do. Are they, is he doing that? Or do you think you could go to, do you think you could just drive down to Houston, Texas? I believe that's where Kenneth Copeland lives. I think it is. Do you think you just drive down there and knock on his door and, and maybe check uh, and just, just visit with him and get some of his wisdom? I really doubt that, don't you? I bet you couldn't even get his phone number. I bet you couldn't even get his phone number. You, could, you couldn't pay enough to get his own personal cell phone number. So you can't, you can't access him. You can't talk to him. Yet he's got all these followers that are sending him money. He's some, somehow supposed to be a benefactor to them. 
But I tell you, with his $787 million, I don't think, I think he's the one that's getting benefited. I don't think he's benefiting anybody but himself. And then, you know, I bet you couldn't even get close enough to his house to even take a picture of one of his jets he's got sitting down there on his runway at his home. You know, I bet you couldn't do that because, you know, he's got bodyguards, he's got fences, he's got, he's got security systems and all that around his place. I mean, you can't get to this man. Is he supposed to be a servant of God? Come on. We need to wake up. And I bet you too, I wonder, I wonder how many of Benny Hinn's supporters have access to him. You know, Benny's worth a lot of millions, you know, 40, 50 million now. You know, he's worth it. He's got, he's got some really nice homes and he's got, he's got a lot of, of things that rich people have, but I don't think that you can go see Benny Hinn, and I don't think you can talk to Benny Hinn, and I don't think you have access to Benny Hinn, even if you send him your money. I think you just get another thing in the mail asking for some more money because he markets really well. So, do you really think he's serving the people? And what? And, and who do you know that has Pat Robinson's phone number? You know, Pat's worth a hundred million dollars, and he just put a book out uh, talking about how he's walked with God for for whatever, 50, 60 years, I don't know. But, you know, can you talk to, to Pat? Can You know, is Pat is Pat down there with the sheep? Is he out there with the common man where, the, where he's helping people with their marriages and he's counseling people and he's helping people who are in sin to get out of sin? Is that what he's doing or is he running a great big empire wrecking in millions of dollars? What is he doing here? See, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to wake you up. What do you think's going on here? Is he a Nicolaitan or is he a true servant of God? Is he a servant? Or is he the one getting served? I'm just asking. And you know, why do some of these men have armed bodyguards? <laughs> you know, <laughs> armed bodyguards? <laughs> and why do they have why do they live in seclusion where you can't even get to them? I mean, what's what's going on here? Is this a real is this a real shepherd? Come on. So <laughs> how hard would it be for a common person, even even Atlanta, Georgia, which I'm in North Georgia, I could get to Atlanta in about an hour or something. You know, do you think there's any way I could run down to Atlanta and visit with Charles Stanley? You think I could just give him a call and say, hey, Charles, uh, I'd like to have lunch with you. I want to talk to you about some spiritual matters. You think that could happen? No, it couldn't happen. Why? Because he's so high up above me. See, he set himself up so high above people. He's not, he, he's a Nicolaitan, you know, just like so many others. So even in your local church, most any local church, if you, if you really need to talk to the pastor, and so there's usually one pastor. It's the Pope mentality. Instead of having a, a whole body of elders that you could go to, any one of them, for wisdom and for guidance if you needed any help, you usually have to talk to the pastor. And if you need to talk to the pastor, you'd have to call his secretary to get an appointment with him. And it might be a week or two or three out, and you might have an emergency, and you really can't get to him because he is busy with church business. See, this is not. do you think this is the way God meant for it to be? How can one man serve a hundred people? What about a mega church with 10,000 people in it? How can a pastor help and work with and shepherd and oversee and look after the lives of 10,000 people? This is ludicrous. It's crazy. I've been working with people's lives for, for nearly 40 years. And I've never been able to work with very many people. You know, right now in my life, there's about 30-something people, and I, and, and I try to disciple as many of those as I can, but I've also got other men that are with me that I've trained and worked with that are also working with discipling people. 
And anybody in our little church that needs to get a hold of me have got my cell number. They know where I live. They've been in my home. I've been in their home. We interact with each other. I watch over their lives and they watch over my life too. Honestly, we watch over each other. We're all brothers. There's no big guys and little yous here. I'm, I try to serve them and I don't take anything from them and I don't, I don't want to use them for anything. I just want to be a, blen- a benefit and a blessing to them because that's what I believe the scripture says and that's what I want to do. I want to please God. What's all this stuff that's going on today? So do you think these men, like the ones I've mentioned, and, and I'm, I'm not picking them out particularly. There's, a, there's, a, there's thousands and thousands of these men that live like this, like I mentioned, like Pat Robinson, Benny Hinn, uh, Kenneth Copeland, John MacArthur. You know, there's just thousands of these men. There's all kinds of ministries and all kinds of, of men that are living like kings all over the country and all over the world. Do you really think that these men are men like these? That are re- Do you think they're really watching after people's lives? Do you think they're servants to the personal needs of the sheep that are in the pasture? And do you think they're really equipping anyone for the work of the service? Do you really think that? Yet they're called benefactors. They're called benefactors. But the truth is they haven't yielded the slightest benefit to the body of Christ. Matthew 23, Jesus said in verse 5, he said, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. In other words, they got all their credentials, their doctors and their reverends and all this kind of stuff. And they want you to know it too. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. And they love the respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men, being called reverend, pastor, doctor, prophet. They love this kind of stuff. Today, they love, <laughs> they love being called by all these names all these titles, and they love the place of honor, and they even have their own parking places. If they're, if they're at a ministry, if, if, they're in a, if they're the head of a ministry or the pastor of a church, I guarantee you, you can drive up to their place of business, and there's a sign there that says, pastor so-and-so, or the clergy, or there's something that signifies this is where they park. They get to park the closest, most convenient place to the building. And the poor old lady that's crippled has to park somewhere out there in the parking lot and hobble her way into the building because the pastor has picked out the best spot for himself. Oh, it's so ugly. It's so ugly to God. No wonder he said, I hate the Nicolaitans. I hate their ways. I was, I'll give you an example. My business is right beside a bank. I was standing at the front door of my business one day, fixing to go to the mailbox, and right across the street from me was the bank. And the drive-thru teller was right there at the bank. And there was a car in the drive-thru teller. And it was a pastor of a local Baptist church right in my, in my town. And he was trying to cash a large check at the drive-thru teller. But the little lady, the little girl, she's a young girl, at the drive-thru teller explained to him that the bank rules did not allow her to cash a check of that size at the drive-thru window. And that he would need to come inside to complete that transaction. Well, he didn't, he didn't like that one bit. And he bellered in the loudest, ugliest voice you could ever imagine at that poor little girl. He did it so loud that he could be heard all over the parking lot and all inside the bank and all the way across the street to where I was. And, and here's what he yelled at her. He said, don't you know who I am? You know, like he is somebody. I mean, he was so arrogant. He was so proud of himself because he was the pastor of Kingwood Baptist Church. 
And buddy, he wanted her to know who he was. And I thought, oh, this is so ugly, so disgusting. He obviously thought he deserved more honor than she was giving him because after all, he is the clergy. Well, later on, I was inside the bank because it was a bank I used too. And all the tellers inside told me they would never go to his church. He was so repulsive to them. He was so arrogant, so self-righteous, so proud of who he was. And yet you think, well, that's an unusual situation. Well, I'll tell you, it's not that unusual. You know, that's really the heart of so many pastors and so many prophets. They really think they're somebody. In 1 John 2, 26, uh, John wrote this. He said, these things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, in verse 27, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and, as, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Here's another situation I was in one time. I, I was in a charismatic church and I was, I was concerned because the pastor was really teaching some things that were off from the scriptures. And he was doing some things that I thought were really uh, strange. And so I went to him to talk to him about some of this. I approached the charismatic pastor and, and um, he had spoken some things that were incorrect uh, from the pulpit. And he had, he, he had done some things that were inappropriate. And I tried to reason with him about it. I, I, my first thought was he, he's, he's, a, he's a man who loves God, but he, just, he was just wrong. And I thought maybe if I just share this with him, he'd be, he'd be thankful and he would uh, respect what, what the truth was. And, he, and he, I even thought I was so naive at the time. I, this is probably about 35, 35 years ago. I thought maybe he would even get up uh, in the next time he, in church and actually uh, correct his errors, <laughs> you know, because I thought he really loved God. Well, <clears throat> when I brought these things to his attention, he, he really reacted very violently and he got very angry with me and he, and he really couldn't defend himself from the scripture because the scripture is very clear on the matter and I'd really been very careful to look the scriptures at the scriptures carefully before I went to him but so instead of instead of him dealing with the scriptures he just turned it around on me and told me not to touch God's anointing and he even it was like a subtle threat like you could get in real trouble here with God God might do something to you if you touch God's anointed anointing and uh, anointed he said I am God's anointed and you better not touch me. <laughs> he said that like he was above me and like he was some special anointed person of God, again, putting himself above others, trying to use his power to intimidate me. And yet this man is supposed to be a preacher of the word, and yet he was so ignorant of the fact that anyone in Christ is the anointed of God. I mean, of course, it wasn't too long before my wife and my children and I left that church because it was evident that he was a false teacher. Now, I just want to summarize with you a few things here. You don't need, to, you don't need a king to lead you. Jesus is your king. You don't need a man to always tell you what God is saying because the anointing abides in you. Jesus hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans and you should hate them too. You should hate the Nicolaitans. You should hate the way they do. Any man who would, who would allow himself to be titled with a title like reverend, doctor, pastor, whatever, you know, if he does and, and treat it as though he was above the rest of us, he's a Nicolaitan. The greatest will be your servant 
who benefits you. Who's not benefiting himself, but benefiting you. Any man who takes your money for ministry is setting himself above others, and he's a Nicolaitan. The old covenant of the priest being between us and God has been replaced with a new covenant where everyone is a priest and everyone has direct access to the Lord and, no, and has no need anyone teach him anything because the anointing bides in him. Nicolaitans are the modern Pharisees. And whoever follows them will become twice the son of hell that they are unless he repents because the Nicolaitans will never enter the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus said the blind would lead the blind and they would all go to the pit. So you might want to listen to previous podcast number nine that I did on the, on the myth of the tithe or number 10 I did on the paid pastor or number 13 I did concerning the uh, kings, uh, the, how, how the pastors are living like kings, preachers are living like kings. And if, you, and if you did that, you might get a better picture of what I'm trying to get at today. There's only so much I can do on one podcast. So I plan on being next week with another Great Deception podcast. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.